Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Varsity Club podcast. Uh, it is not snowing where we are. Brandon Vogel is in Tennessee. I am in Oklahoma. It is decent weather where we are, but we're going to talk about Nebraska because obviously it is like snowing and negative 85 degrees there and spring football starts in a week and a half. So hooray. Brandon, how are you? I'm doing well. I, you know, this is the, uh, we love Nebraska. Uh, the, the winter weather is tough to deal with. So if you can do it, this is the way to do it, you know? Within the confines of this podcast, it will be a Nebraska podcast. But like you said, we uh, we're not dealing with quite the snow that everyone else is. Greg is is headed to a tropical island soon. Yeah. So uh, shout out, Greg. Yeah, they're gonna have to when the football team starts practicing. They're gonna have to like stay inside the Hawks Championship Center because they're gonna be like enclosed inside that facility by snow <laughs> for spring practice. Yeah. Spring practice. They're not even going to have the option of uh, of making viral snow angels this time no. because it's, the snow is just going to be too piled too high to uh, <laughs> to even open the doors. That might have been the greatest thing that happened, like in, in Frost's first year. Was that that was it a video or was it a picture? It was a video, and he was in the um, background, shirtless, and you had to like find him. It was like, "Where's Waldo?" That was amazing. That was probably one of the highlights of last year. It, it was it was pretty good. That must have been close to Michigan State week. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember when Nebraska first got snow in the fall. But that sounds about that right. That was pretty good. Yeah, that yeah. was great. Um, you were in Alabama recently for, excuse me, the the AAF Alliance of American Football. You caught the is it Birmingham Iron and Salt Lake Stallions? That's correct. Did I get the names right. You went and saw them. The Stallions have a bunch of Husker guys. Uh, how was that experience? Oh, it, it reminded me a lot of when I covered uh, the first um, UFL game of the Omaha Nighthawks in Omaha in that, you know, there's 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 quite a bit of excitement. You're rooting for the league. You hope it does well. Um, the football's pretty good, though. You, you certainly notice a, a difference. And it's kind of chaos everywhere else around that. You know, <laughs> these, this was these franchises second game. Um, you know, I, I talked to I talked to DeMornay. Pearsonell a little bit after the game. Uh, he didn't have a ton of time, but I didn't know this. Um, I, I knew they'd held their sort of like all their scrimmages in, in San Antonio, but basically that's been like home base for the entire league. So, so these Nebraska guys on Salt Lake haven't even been to Salt Lake yet. They've been practicing in, in San Antonio. I think they played at Arizona in week one. And then at Birmingham in week two. So this week, I think they have a home game. This is the first time those guys are the Salt Lake Stallions are going to have been in Salt Lake. Um, Dennis Erickson, their coach, kind of made a joke about it post game, saying, "Oh, is that where our team's from?" <laughs> um, so, so these are the sort of things you you deal with um, uh, with a league like that. And you know, I, I wrote about it. I, I hope it does well. Like there are so few chances to continue playing your football career that there's. 
there's a lot of really good players, you know, who, who may not quite be NFL caliber or trying to get there and they just don't have anywhere to go. Um, so, so that was kind of my general overview. That said, some of the stories we've seen this week um, also alluded to something I mentioned there, which is like, it's just crazy expensive to put on a football game and it's hard to do. And it requires an army of people and a boatload of money. Yeah. They almost uh, went bankrupt after week two. Yep. Which, you know, <laughs> From afar, you're kind of like, how could that happen? Um, but but who knows? I mean, it's just there's there's so much. I mean, when you think of getting everyone there, all the equipment there, I mean, it's it's crazy. Uh, it's a it's a bold idea. We've we've seen a lot of leagues come and try and fill this niche and, and go away relatively quickly, and they always seem to be plagued by by things like this along the way. And sometimes you find enough to, to kind of get you to the next stop on the on the road until eventually you don't. So so hopefully the people seem to like the league. I think the the timing of it is great, um, but you still got to fight through a bunch of stuff that plenty of leagues before them have had to fight through. Interesting. I, one of the, the most – I'm going to say interesting again, but one of the most interesting things to me about this whole thing is like I, I'm curious what the, what the vibe around teams or like within teams because – like when you look at the NFL, a lot of it, like there's a bunch of egos, there's a bunch of guys, like these are the best of the best and they know that they're the best of the best um, and they're coming to work, getting a paycheck. This is their job. In college, it's a lot of, um, there's a lot more pageantry to it. There's a lot, there, there are guys that know that they're not going to go play in the NFL and it's more about the team and more about winning um, for the team and for whatever program they're a part of. I wonder if there's like a mix of that in this league or if it's like I just I wonder what the vibe is and I don't know if you can answer that question after a game but that I think that's one of the most that's one of the things that I'm the most curious about with this league yeah the sense that I got is really one of relief among most of the players so so you look at somebody like Kitty Bell um you know good college football player good enough to kind of continually be on the, on the call list for, for practice squads, kind of right on the brink of, you know, making a team and, and, and getting to play. And the toughest thing I think for those guys, based on the little bit I got to talk to them was it's, it's just kind of not knowing. So if you want to continue on that path, you are, you know, you're close and you want to be available. Well, you've got to stay in world-class shape on your own, at home or wherever you're living and you do that and you never know if the call's going to come. What a league like this does is it at least gives those guys some games to play. They at least know, and it knew for a while, like, okay, well we're playing football in the spring and that, you know, you can strip out that. Yeah. You're not playing in front of 90,000 now. And you know, you're not making NFL money, but at least, you know that, okay, we've got games and, and here's an opportunity and it's not just me alone trying to find the continual motivation, continually battling do with, do I keep going? How long am I in this for? Is it ever going to happen? This doesn't say, yeah, it's going to happen, but at least, you know, you've, you've got a game to play. And it's, it's, it's fun for those guys still to play football. Hmm. Cool. Let's switch gears and talk about football or <laughs> talk about Husker football. Um, I do, before we get to that though, I, I do want to, like I said, we weren't going to, I just have one comment that I want to make on basketball because we're not going to get real in depth in basketball. Um, people don't care anymore. And that's 
kind of evident within the fan base. There's a little bit of, I don't want to say apathy, but it just seems like people don't care anymore. Um, but watching the Penn State game, I thought for the first time really over, and I didn't, I didn't really think this during the the seven game losing streak or the nine out eight out of ten or whatever the crazy number was. I thought this was the beginning of the end, and I thought that because <clears throat> it also looked like the players did not care. Um, and like when you reach that point, like they still have four games left, and they still have four games left against all ranked teams, and two of them are on the road. Like when you reach that point where they just don't, they look like they don't care anymore. It's just that, that's when a coach gets fired. Um, so that was sad to see. Um, I you know, I feel like if people like read my stuff or follow how I've talked about the team over the last couple of weeks, I think I'd hate the team. And I really don't. I like the collective talent on the team and I wanted them to be better. I thought they could be better, but it's just, it's been a sad ending to this season. Um, I think for all parties involved. So that's my yeah. tidbit. Yeah. It, it post cope as, as they went through those losses without Copeland, you know, you could kind of, it kind of felt like, well, maybe they just can't do any better. And then you saw a couple of wins. Now, granted, they weren't, you know, they were games that Nebraska could win, even in that state. And then for to have this to happen felt like a whole level beyond, you know, I was telling you before we started recording, I wasn't able to watch the first half. I had a thing um, and I got into my car to go home and watch the second half and flipped on the radio broadcast. And my immediate response was, oh, my God, something horrible has happened. Yeah. Um, because you could just tell immediately from the tone of the broadcast that not only was Nebraska not in this game, but they were there was little hope of them getting back in the game. And, and that's pretty tough to swallow. Well, they weren't in it from from the, the jump. I mean, they they let a team Penn State is like 319th in the country out of like 350 division one basketball programs in three point shooting percentage. And they hit 11 of 22 shots. You just can't like that's like Tim said on the radio show, like he walked into the locker room after the game and told the team, I need your guys' help. Cause I have no idea what just happened. And like, that's, that is not good. <laughs> that's not good. Um, no. so we can, we can leave it there. Uh, basketball has four games left. We'll have coverage on all four games, which people probably won't read. Um, so let's talk about spring football and you had an idea that you wanted to do that you kind of wanted to structure this talk around, um, five important position battles to monitor during the spring. And there are like, there are, this team has a lot of positions that are kind of up in the air or, um, spots on the depth chart that are crucial that are, that have question marks around them. And I think that's going to be one of the most interesting, um, storylines throughout spring is, they have holes who who's going to fill them who's going to fill in roles that were held by seniors last year um who's going to fill Luke Gifford's spot who's going to fill Stanley Morgan's role so we've got five we've each got five position battles um we've ranked them correct you ranked yours yes okay let's start at the number 5 spot and we'll we'll work our way down so you can go first with your fifth most important position battle and then we'll just kind of see where that goes. Okay. Um, you know, as I was pulling stuff together for this, I was, I was, it kind of struck me. I was like, you know, if you just went on kind of what Nebraska has coming back, leading rusher gone, leading receiver gone, um, some holes on the offensive line, most of your top tacklers gone. Like just based on that, 
if Nebraska had gone, say, eight and four last year or seven and five, I think people would kind of predict them to be about the same, you know. So <laughs> this whole offseason becomes a matter of can you trump that with sort of frost track record plus a returning quarterback? And, you know, we can talk about that more as we get into it. But it's just it's interesting when you sit down, you kind of realize how much really is missing here. Mm-hmm. Um, so my number five position battle going from least most important to most important, I guess, for lack of a better term, is, is center. Um, mostly because I don't, I don't have an idea of who's going to take that job. I, I think in a perfect world, they'd love if Cam Jurgens was, was ready to go enough by, by the fall for him to take it. Um, but you know, right now it kind of looks like maybe walk on Hunter Miller is, is the leader there. Um, you've also got Will Farniak who they looked at a little bit in the fall there and, and could move over. And, and then you've got the mystery man still presumably coming in the summer in, in Joshua Wagner, um, a transfer from, from Iowa Western, but there's, there's a lot there. That's kind of the quarterback of your offense, offensive line. Um, I think they can structure some things around that based on how far along they are, but that's a, that's a big piece for, to be missing up front for, for me, uh, especially when you look at some of the other things that we'll probably get to as we, we move through the list. So that's my number five. What's yours, Derek? So if, if, if you name one of the position battles that I have ranked higher, should I talk about that now or should we wait until we get there? Um, let's go ahead and just, uh, wait until we get there. So okay. let's go straight to your number five. Okay, my number five is running back, and and not starting running back. I'm very curious who gets the number two job, and my thought process on that is, I mean, I think everybody assumes that Maurice Washington, it legal case notwithstanding, would be the number one running back, and we'll go into the season as the, the number one running back and the guy who replaces Divino Zigbo, leads the team and carries, and if he's with the team... That'll happen. I think that'll happen. But th- I think that Nebraska is in a very precarious situation because that legal case that is that I mean he's in legal limbo, and that takes Nebraska is not in control of that. They they don't have control over the situation. It's not like it's not like Maurice is dealing with an injury. He doesn't have a hamstring or an ankle thing where there's like a set timetable for when he's going to be back and when they can have him and what kind of check marks he has to clear before they can do X, Y, and Z. Like, they don't really have that. And I don't know if if this legal stuff is not resolved by the time the fall rolls around. I don't think you can play him with the public knowing about it. And so if that's the case, they need to have a clear number two guy that they are confident with and that they feel like can go out there and and produce if they need him to, because I don't I don't think you want Wandale Robinson to be <clears throat> that guy. Like I think he his his position is going to be more about the Duckar spot, and I think he's gonna he's gonna play more at wide receiver than he will at running back. And I think that's the plan with him. I don't they don't need him to be Wando or uh, Rondell Moore. They don't want him to be Rondell Moore, but he can't even come close to doing that if he's in the backfield for 90% of his snaps. And if Maurice Washington isn't in the picture or they need that number two guy, like I don't think they want Wandale to be that guy. So in that case, who becomes the number two guy? Like, is it, is it Dedrick Mills? 
Is it Ramirez Johnson? Is it can I mean can Jalen Bradley get off the milk carton? Is there is there still something there with Wyatt Mazur? Who I mean I, I'm 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 driving the bus for Wyatt Mazur, the hype train. I just want I, I feel like he should get maybe a, a better look or at least a couple looks to maybe win a running back job as opposed to just being out and being kind of that flex that duck our spot. Um, so. I think that number two spot is going to be super important in the spring. I want to see, because they went the Juco route last year with Greg Bell and they went away from it three games into the season. So I'm curious if what, and obviously different, different players, but what do you get from Dedrick Mills? What do you get from Ramir Johnson? Can some of the other guys that really have been uh, nothing for you so far, can, can one of those other guys step up? Or what does that position look like in the spring? Is it Maurice Washington a bust, or do you have a couple of other guys that you feel confident about? Yeah, this this works well because running back is my number four. So okay. we'll uh, slide right into that um, and uh, and go that way. I, you know, it's you look at what Nebraska is going to be at this position in the spring. Um, you've got Maurice Washington with everything else that's that's out there. Um, you know, I'm who knows? It's not even sensible to like speculate on will he play the spring game or any of that you know whatever but i agree he's your de facto leader um based on just the amount of carries he had last year and, and who comes back and who doesn't mm-hmm. um you got jalen bradley who was milk carton last year you know uh, there's there's some hurdles to clear there i think i'm with you i i really think that this spring is is a huge kind of chance to move up for for wyatt Mazur. Um, simply because somebody's going to have to, uh, to take those snaps back there. Um, and, and he seems like a guy that they trust based on the amount of time he got on the field. Then you're, you are looking at, I think, having to use Wandale back there more than they probably would like to in an ideal scenario. The same might be true of Miles Jones. Um, you know, they, they brought those guys in to do a specific thing. And yes, part of that specific thing was to occasionally line up in the backfield, but they weren't traditional running backs and to have to use them that way, maybe it'll be fine. Uh, but it, it's not how it was designed. I don't think. And the, the three incoming guys in this class who, who are all pretty enticing in their own ways, none of them are here yet. So <laughs> spring's going to be going to be particularly messy at, at that spot. Um, It'll get a little bit better in the summer. And, you know, we saw Greg Bell was top of the depth chart to to, to start uh, the season. And, and Maurice Washington was good enough to play. And he got there way later than, than these other guys will, uh, or at least basically two months later. So I think there's a chance. Nebraska is just going to be pretty green. It's going to be it's going to be pretty up in the air. And I think when we get to the end of the 2019 season, we're going to have to measure that position basically as a group, because I just don't know if you're going to get to find enough roles with, with all of the question marks that they have now to be there, to be like, well, you know, Dedrick Mills led them with 800 yards rushing. He may do that, but kind of collectively, because they're going to, they're just going to have to call on a lot of guys. Um, and, and that creates a, a lot of uncertainty at that spot. So. Right. I completely forgot about Miles Jones. And he was on my top five most interesting freshmen of the spring list. So, well, I mean, I, I tend to think of him as as a receiver first. Um, yeah, and sort of the same with with Wandale. You know, yeah, they could do it. They, they might have to do it. Um, 
But again, like, I don't think that was the the perfect plan uh, for for what they have envisioned for those guys. But they could be right. pretty good there. So right. And you, and like go ahead. And like in a sorry to cut you off, but I mean, I mean in a perfect world, no nothing outside of football is wrong with anybody on the team. Like Divino Zigbo was the leading guy last year, and Maurice Washington still got seventy seven carries. So if Washington just slides right into Divino Zigbo's role, who becomes the guy that gets 77 carries. That's that's significant. Washington played a significant role within the offense in his freshman season. Well, maybe not significant, but he was a part of it. And th- there were times where they called on him to, to do some things and, and make some plays for him. Who is that guy this season? So, Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You had guys who could, you know, when you incorporate Adrian Martinez into the run game, who could really hurt you if you put all your attention on on Martinez, and that and that made the offense better collectively. Um, with with Washington's status sort of uncertain, you can't say that about any of the other guys right now to the degree that you even could have with with Divine before he kind of broke through. So. That's that's the challenge for for Nebraska. Here's a question I have for you, and it's kind of a philosophical question. So Nebraska, um, under under Frost in year one, they were a little bit more run heavy than I thought that they were going to be, just based on Frost's track record over the previous couple seasons. Um, th- th- and it looks like that's going to be a thing that they do. Adrian Martinez carried it 140 times. As we move forward in his career, do you think? that he's a guy that they want carrying the ball. I mean, he averaged, that's 10, that's 10 carries a game. Do do you think they want him to be that? Because if he keeps getting better and he keeps improving, eventually he's going to be one of those guys. And I think we all think this, he's going to be one of those guys that is up for quarterback awards at the end of the season, or is one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Do you want, do you want him carrying it and putting himself at risk that many times a game as he gets older and as he gets better and as he gets more important to your team. He ha- I, he's big, and he's bigger in person than you even think he is. And, and he's bigger than Marcus Mariota, and they didn't want Marcus Mariota to carry it a bunch. But I just don't know... I don't know how much they want him to carry it moving forward if this is... If 10 carries a game is fine and they're fine with it? I mean, fine, it's only 10 carries a game. But do you think that's too much as we move, move forward? I, I think... Um you want that number to be as low as it can be without, you know, really hurting the offense, which, which is sort of an obvious point. But as you were, as you mentioned it, my, you know, my mind kind of immediately went to Mariota at, at Oregon. Um, as a freshman, he was at eight, basically eight carries a game, dropped down to start away. Restart. Mariota was at eight as a freshman, dropped down to seven as a sophomore, and then his Heisman year, he was back up to nine. So, so I think having a quarterback who can do that kind of allows you to cover up a little bit of your inexperience elsewhere if you need him to. But if you've you've got great running backs and you you feel good about wide receiver, uh, then yeah, you you kind of can take a little bit of the load off of him and let him back there, let him be back there and just find the open guy. Um, I think that's their idealized form, but as we'll probably get to later on these on, on our lists, uh, I don't know if they they have those pieces in place at the other skill positions yet. Right. Well, the number four for me is wide receiver, yeah. um, and I think like just with running back, I think the number two spot is is going to be huge because 
over the last two years, it's been in, in the passing game. It's been is Stanley Morgan open? Cool, throw him the ball. If he's not open, throw the ball to JD. And then if both of those guys are just completely out of question, you go to a running back on a dump down, or you find a tight end. The, their production, their wide receiver production outside of um, JD and outside of Stan over the last two years, it's something like those those two guys are getting like. 70% of targets and have like 70 to 80% of the receiving yardage amongst the wide receivers on the team. So you've taken Stanley away. JD, I, I have no issues with JD. No doubt he's going to be really, really good in a, in a featured role. But he's not Stanley. He's not just because he's changing from number two to the number one designation or 1B to 1A, or however you thought that it was phrased last year, he's still not going to... He, he's not going to be Stanley. He's still JD, and he's still a guy that works underneath, and he's still a guy that, that you move around and put him in the slot and try to create mismatches, and he's a guy that is more speed than power at this point. Stanley was a guy... You know, I think the best way to describe his his role, what they wanted from him as the wide receiver was, I, I think back to the Ohio State game, and it might have been the first play offensively for Nebraska, but it was for sure on the first drive. And Adrian was facing pressure, and they were deep in in their side of the field, and he just threw it up to Stan, and Stan went up and caught it through traffic and came down, and it was like a 30-yard completion. They, who Who is that guy next season? Because you need that as an offense to function, and you need that as an offense to be able – to allow J.D. Spielman to do what he does best. You have to have that kind of deep, over-the-top receiving threat to allow J.D. to work underneath and do all his damage to, to zones and whatever he does. And I, I wonder, is that Javon McQuitty? I think this is, this is the year for McQuitty for him to prove either, A, he's going to be a reliable uh, part piece of this offense moving forward, or, I mean, it looks like a reach for them. So what is what does his spring look like? Because from a physical profile, he's everybody thought he was going to be the next Stanley Morgan. He was going to be the guy that was going to be able to replace that role. So what does his spring look like? I don't know that you can ask a guy like Mike Williams or Jerron Woodyard to do that. Both guys are seniors in the first place, so it's not it's not like it's going to be a long term solution for you. Uh, but both of those guys are more JD than they are Stan, and maybe it's somebody like Jamie Nance coming in um, and earning that because he's a, he's a big bodied receiver who's fast, but he's got to put on weight and he's not, he's not built like Stan is. So that number two option, like I know they had issues with the number three spot last year and they kind of rotated guys, but I think now you've really got to figure out who is the clear cut go-to number two before you even get to, okay, who's the third guy that we put on the field? Because Wandale's going to be on the field. Jack Stoll's going to be on the field. JD's going to be on the field. Who is who is the the outside deep threat wide receiver that you're just going to be able to send up, th- throw the ball up to, and see if he comes down with it? Yeah, there, there's so much that's interesting with the wide receiver position. Would you care to guess, Derek, how many returning wide receivers for Nebraska minus JD Spielman have more had more than one catch a year ago? Um. Did did Andre Hunt have a catch? Um, let me. If he did, it was one catch. So more than one catch. That's what we're going for here. I think 
Tajon would have had multiple. Cade he's Warner, not returning. He's not returning. Cade Warner and Mike Williams would be the only two. Yep, that's it. There's two. Yeah. Um, Miles Jones had one for 21 yards. Woodyard had one. Um, and Andre Hunt did not. So. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> so. That's a lot. I mean, you and you look at it. So of Nebraska's returning guys, who's their best returning receiver? Minus minus JD. I guess you go with Mike Williams, probably. Um, you know, I think it might be Cade Warner. It, it could be. Um, you know, and I think he's a, a big piece to this. Um, you, you mentioned Jamie Nance. Huge spring for him, and with with McKid, McQuitty, I'm guessing that by the end of spring football, we will know what's uh, what's yeah. coming for him. Because if yeah. he if, if he starts to to make the jump and and looks like one of their top three, then good news for Nebraska. If he doesn't, I think he probably goes elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, if if he makes that jump and he becomes a reliable guy that that is going to play majority of your downs in any given game like that was what they were hoping for like that was what they needed out of him and if that's not the case like there are guys there are guys coming in that are going to take a spot pretty quickly so I think you're right who's your number three yeah uh, so we'll have more on receivers coming up but not next uh, my number three is is outside linebacker um Specifically, I think the the biggest question for Nebraska is is how do they how do they replace what Luke Luke Gifford brought, and specifically he he led the team in tackles for loss and sacks, and and those are vitally important in this defense. They're they're vitally important to any defense. They're they're big pieces of stopping drives, and and you've got to have those. Those are a big thing to look at when you look at what teams bring back. You know beyond just returning starters, uh, and to lose your top guy in both that's a pretty big hole. So, you know, we, we talked about this over the course of, of the late signing period too, because it was, it was an area where Nebraska, you know, went after some guys and missed. So now you're kind of left to focus on, on what they actually have. Um, Caleb, Caleb Tanner kind of needs to make the jump. And so does Tyron Ferguson. And I look at those two as probably your best bets, depending on, on what they do with Doman. And I, and I think this sort of, edge rusher beat organizer of the mid-level level defense piece of it is so big that I think Doman sticks there. Um, you know, you could think about him at safety, but really, yeah, I, I think he probably does. Um, as we, as we get into, to what Nebraska brings back uh, on the back end of the defense, I'd be surprised if he doesn't start out as, as kind of their outside linebacker guy. Um, and they, they see what he can do. Um, See, I'm in a I'm in a spot where I feel like I would probably use Sharpie on my depth chart or my projected depth chart with Caleb Tanner and Tyron Ferguson an outside linebacker. Okay. At this point, like I feel confident enough that because I think that's just I think they've had a plan with Tanner and this has been the plan all along. Yeah. And I think Tyron Ferguson, like Ty, when Ty when when Ty was healthy last year, he was really good. He was he was a bright spot and a surprise for them. And I think it's just about, and I guess that's the question. It's about health with him. Can he can he be healthy through spring? Can he stay healthy through fall? So that's a question. My my number three is inside linebacker. Yeah, because I don't like they like you've got Mo Berry, and obviously Mo I think was if not the best, he was one of the best players on the defense last year. But you're losing Dedrick Young, and however people feel about Dedrick Young, he played 
for a long time at Nebraska. He started for a long time at Nebraska, started a bunch of games, played in a bunch of big moments, and he was still top six in tackles last year. Like, he was involved a ton, and you are now losing him, and you're going to have to replace that part of your your inside. I don't think it's going to be as critical because of, like, I have one more defensive spot ahead of this, so I don't think it's the most important position, but you've got... You've got to find somebody there that can fill a role because Nebraska was, I think, 11th last year in the Big Ten um, in average run yards per carry against. And inside linebacker plays, I mean, Dedrick Young and Mo Berry were both involved in the run game a ton because they were, they, I mean, you're in run fits and you're having to, and Mo was having to hit guys at the second level a ton. And what is, like, they need, I don't, I, I wonder if, what they want from Nick Henrich is for him to play right away. I don't think they do. I don't think you want to bring a freshman in and have him start at inside linebacker in the Big Ten right away. Yeah. And I really like Henrich. I know some of the other people in the market, like guys like Mike Schaefer, really love Jackson Hanna. I think he's an underrated guy. I think he just like replaced the name. Like I don't think they want him to start as a freshman right away and play significant right. snaps right away either regardless of how good he can be. And I think Henrich and both Hannah can be pretty good. But I don't think, in a perfect world, I don't think they want them playing um, really like high-level snaps right from the word jump. So who who is that guy? Is it Colin Miller? And I mean, maybe it's him, uh, but he's a converted outside linebacker. He's still maybe learning the position. Um, if I was having to learn how to play inside linebacker, Barrett Root is on a short list of guys I'd want to learn it from. But there is a question up there. There's a there's a question mark there. Yeah, it seems like Miller has kind of uh, nosed ahead in, in in that race of you know it probably would have been Will Honus if minus the injury. Um, but, but that's interesting. I mean, I think those are those are your two best bets because, like you said, kind of you've got to be really really good as a true freshman to go in and sort of stick you know your nose in there for nine weeks a year against against big 10 competition like yeah it is a inside linebacker type of league um and, and you've got to be good there you know I, dedrick young had had one of the more sort of interesting careers of, of a nebraska player in recent memory you know he, he played a ton people never really liked that but no one no one was coming along it was better and i mean this is the case for a lot of teams but those are top two tacklers a year ago. Like you want to funnel teams through the middle and you've got to have guys there who can, who can make those stops. And you're right. We, we don't know with Nebraska uh, who, who that, who that guy's going to be aside from, from Mo Berry. And you're going to need more than two. You're probably going to need more than three. So if you get going down the list, there's, there's quite a bit up in the air for, for Nebraska on that side too. So, and stopping the runs huge and that, you know, you do that collectively as a defense, but in terms of the guys who actually end up tallying the stats for those stops, it's the guys on the inside They're They're pretty vital. Who's your number two? My number two is wide receiver. So we don't need to rehash a bunch of, of what we already did. I just had one, maybe maybe two points to to make here. The key one being, I think, what happens at wide receiver? Nebraska finding reliable options at number two and number three behind Spielman. Maybe what caps sort of puts a ceiling on on what Adrian Martinez could do this year as a passer. Um, last year was great. 
you had two really good wide receivers that he clearly trusted, you know, uh, in terms of Jack Stoll, that trust seemed to grow a little bit towards the end of the season. So I think you, you have to at least factor him into this discussion as well, even though he doesn't play wide receiver. But if Nebraska is not dynamic enough at wide receiver outside of Spielman, we may have to temper expectations a little bit, I think, for, for what this offense can be. And I'm not saying they won't be dynamic enough. We just don't know yet. Um, the secondary tiny point, um, pun not intended, but I guess it worked. This wide receiver group has the potential to be pretty small. Uh, when you look at you look at Spielman, of course, and then two of the guys that I think factor into the discussion here, Miles Jones and, and Wandale Robinson, are, are also not you know the the big outside receivers that you traditionally think of. In, in that category, you've got Mike Williams, um, Jamie Nance. I think is listed at like six one or six two. Um, so you've got a couple of options, but again, you know, the, the guys that people are, seem to be most excited about are not big body wide receivers. And maybe in this offense, you don't need it. But what I do know is sort of that continuity in the passing game, you know, Bill Connolly's research shows it's, pro- it's the most important thing in terms of returning offense. And, and Nebraska doesn't have a ton of it. Because there are going to be defenses this season, probably early and often, where the game plan is, okay, we're going to cover J.D. Spielman and beat us with somebody else. Yep. And, you know, J.D. JD and Adrian are both good. They're, they're very good together. But if teams know that we're going to make, we're going to make you do it with somebody else, we're going to make you throw the ball to Cade Warner and Mike Williams and Andre Hunt and John Woodyard and whoever comes along from the freshman class. Like those guys have to prove that, well, you can't do that as a defense, and mm-hmm. there's just there's there's not a ton of experience there. Yep. My number two, uh, the most important, I think, on the defense is safety. So Nebraska went with four safeties in the in the rotation last year. Um, Fisher, Travis Fisher, wasn't rotating at his corner, but he was at safety. They played four guys, um, significant staffs. It was Trey Neal and Aaron Williams and Antonio Reed were the three guys that that had the most trust that played the most that produced the most like those guys all three of those guys were in the team's top six tacklers at the safety spot all three of those guys were seniors and they've all gone and trey was trey was not the flashy guy trey was the i'm not going to make mental mistakes i'm not going to have busts i'm not going to screw up the back end of the defense because he was he just had played in it and he knew um what to do and he knew it was expected and the coaching staff didn't have to worry about him and that is really really important it's not quantifiable but that's very important to have on a defense um aaron williams sort of the same thing he had the one game where he got torched by uh northwestern's flynn nagel which sidebar it feels like anytime you get torched by a slot receiver it is a small white guy <laughs> so the west walker effect is is uh alive and well um take the Northwestern game out. He had a really good season. And then Antonio Reed, like that Michigan State game, he was the most impactful player on the field. And he had a good season as well. He had a really good season. So I think I think Deontay Williams is going to be really, really good. Um, I get kind of the same vibe from him that I got from Mo heading into last season. I just think he, he was really good in limited action last year. And he was kind of one of those guys where it was like, okay, we need to give some rest to Trey or to Aaron or to Antonio okay Deontay go in for a couple snaps and make some plays and he would go in and he would make some plays so I, I feel like I feel pretty confident that he's going to take that number one spot 
So that leaves that leaves two safety. If they want to play the same way they played last year, that leaves two safeties that are going to play a significant snaps and a fourth guy that's a utility guy. So who like they they lost a lot and I like the talent that's back there, but those are that's three spots that are significant parts of your defense that need answers because I thought last year the strength of the defense was back to front. Like I thought their most talented pieces were in were at the safety spot and then at the linebacker and then the defensive line I thought was the weakest of the the three levels. And maybe it, I don't know if that's the way that Chenander wants to play. I don't know if that's like his his MO. But if it is, they I mean they've got questions. So who who are the three guys? I really like Cam Jones. Um I think he's kind of being He's kind of flying under the radar. Um, so you've got Markel Dismuke there. You've got Cam Jones. You've got C.J. Smith, who looked like he was playing himself into a role um, before an injury, but you're not really going to have him in spring. I think this is really this is a really important spring for Markel Dismuke. He kind of got buried last year. Um, so what are you going to get from him? I do wonder if JoJo stays at outside linebacker or moves back to safety because they do have that need. I'm curious about that. Yeah, safety's my number one um, for for many of the same reasons that you just mentioned. Um, you, you've it's it's a really difficult spot to play in that those guys are asked to fit in the run game, also be a big part of the pass defense, and then also in a lot of cases, especially with, with you know in year one with Trey, they got to get everybody where they're supposed to be. Um, so there's there's a lot going on there. You need athletic guys who can do a bunch of different things. You need intelligent players back there who can handle the other part of it. And it's 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 a really intriguing group to talk about. You mentioned most of the names at this point. Cam Jones was one of my favorite players in that that first Frost class. So it'll be exciting to see him. I also think Deontay Williams is poised for a pretty big 2019. You know, Dismuke is kind of the the wild card here. Um, You've got C.J. Smith potentially in there. But then also two of the guys in this class, they won't be here for the spring, but two of my favorite guys in the class, Miles Farmer and Noah Polo Gates, are probably safeties as well. So there's a ton of enticing talent. Um, it's just like like a lot of spots, you know, kind of hitting on the same theme. We just haven't seen a ton of snaps from them yet. And if the premise of this entire list was, you know, you're out there and you can spend – points on ensuring your team's position is the best like any of these groups out there where you've got a hole to fill i would spend the most on safety just because i think it's such a vital role on the defense um and then on down the list so i'm with you and i and i think you can look at probably you're looking at at least three spots as what i would consider basically starters whether they're listed that way or not right. and really you probably want four and, and Doman, Doman's interesting. You know, if, if Nebraska were to kind of lock up outside linebacker with, with some of its existing options, I think you probably then go back and, and you're looking at a starting two in a, in a traditional formation of, of Williams and Doman. Um, but we'll see. Like, I, I like Cam Jones a lot. Can't, yeah. <laughs> can't mention that, that enough. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, he looks, I mean, from a physical standpoint, he looks ready to play right now. Like if you, as long as the shoulder is fine and, and the injury stuff isn't, and he stays healthy, he looks, he looks like he can handle starting. And I think yeah. that just based on like looking through um, the guys that they have at, at the defensive back spot, like I think 
there's the need for him to be able to do that. Um, if you want to keep JoJo at outside linebacker, I don't see there's not. I don't think there's any issue if you move him back to safety. I mean, like let's say Garrett Nelson has a really really good spring, and all of a sudden he's in the mix at outside linebacker. Like if you if you had JoJo and Deontay Williams as your two quote unquote starting safeties, and then Cam Jones was in that flex spot that was going to play the Antonio Reed role. Like that's, I'd, I'd feel pretty good about that situation. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I, I would. Um, you know, it's, there's, there's just so much that, that goes into it. The thing that, the thing that strikes me about Jones is not just kind of how he looks, but also how he talks and his mentality. Like when, when I first started to see things from him come out, I was like, Oh, that guy's a safety. That guy's like 100% a safety. Yeah. He, he wants to be a safety and he doesn't want to be anything else. So, so that's another big part of the reason I'm as high on him as I am, but um, that's, that's going to be a big one. And it's, it's probably going to be the most fun one to watch because like you said, you can kind of talk your in, yourself into a lot of different combos here. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's, that's easier than, than it is a running back or even wide receiver where you're kind of like, well, we don't even know what the combos might be totally yet. So it's uh, it, it'll be a fun one in a couple of weeks ahead, but for sure. So we what, were, go ahead. I was just going to ask you what's uh what's your number one, unless you want to talk more safety. No, we check my number. We were pretty, pretty similar in terms of how, um, like what spots we wanted to focus on and like how important we felt they were except yep. for one spot. And it was, it was the first one you talked about <laughs> center is my number one. And now I'm second guessing it. You've got me second guessing center at number one. I just think like they haven't recruited a true center in how long right. they don't have a true center freshman recruit that's like oh this guy's a can't miss prospect or something like that and and the best teams have a really good center that nobody talks about because they're really really good like i'm thinking about going to um the remington trophy ceremony two two seasons ago or last january or whenever that was and seeing billy price there from ohio state nebraska does not have that guy they don't and i think like I think this I don't I don't know that the center spot has the ability to raise their ceiling um but I I think it certainly has the ability to lower their floor this season if that spot doesn't get firmed up and is a, a major weak point not just on the line but in the offense in general throughout the season like if they have to scheme things on the offensive line to like try to hide a weaker center like that's an issue if they can't get the center quarterback exchange down that's an issue and that's something that I'm very curious about with Cam Jurgens because I I you know I'm not second guessing anybody's decision to move him from tight end to center but he needed I feel like he really needed those reps last fall that he didn't get because he was hurt like it was terrible to make that move and then for him to just immediately get hurt and and be on the shelf for all that time so I'm curious what his um, what his development has looked like from an understanding of the position, an understanding of what everything, of what playing center entails and all of his responsibilities pre-snap. Um, I'm curious what, like, if he's got the technique things down. I'm curious, because I, I, I'm not worried about his body. I'm not worried about athleticism or his strength or his physicality. He looks like an absolute monster in the videos that they're putting out from the weight room. 
But all the other things that that come into play when you're talking about playing center, like how far along is he? Because I feel like he is the guy that they're hoping to be the number one spot. And if he's not, like you've got a walk-on in Hunter Miller and you've got a guy who's a redshirt freshman in Wolf Arniak who is a little small. Yeah, I mean, offensive line is certainly a trade in that you learn it. Um, now, you know, being a, a physical freak uh, can, can help you along the way. Um, maybe you don't have to get the four-year degree. You just get the two-year if you're, you know, huge or freakishly athletic. But that's that's kind of it. I mean, I think Jurgens is, is probably my favorite to win that job, but it's, it's kind of for – for lack of options, I don't know who is, is he your pick to to win that. Do you expect him to be a starting center? Uh, I feel I feel the same way you do. I feel like he he is the not not necessarily default, but I feel like he's the guy that you are hoping wins the job. And if he doesn't win the job, I think you're feeling a little queasy about the situation. Yeah, I think theoretically he offers the highest upside, you know, based on what we know of him back when we thought he was playing one of three other totally different positions. Right. Uh, Guy's just huge and an athlete. Um, You know, the fact that Hunter Miller kind of enters spring is maybe, you know, the first snap they take this year. Maybe it's him delivering that snap. Um, Will Farniak was, was in the mix, but it seems like, maybe they saw something they liked better of him elsewhere or, you know, the fact that Hunter Miller has kind of emerged and, and maybe passed him as, as the slight leader to this point kind of tells me, yeah, they've got a lot to figure out here. And I, and I think you said it almost exactly right. Like you'll notice if, if Nebraska's bad at that spot, um, if they're pretty good, like if, if the, the position battle shakes out and is a positive for them, you may not notice it, but um it's 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 a big piece of things. I mean, it, right. I, I I started with it probably higher in my top five, and then it kept getting knocked back about a little bit. So that's that's how it ended up at five for me. But having it at one, I th- doesn't seem out of whack at all. I will never question your judgment, Brandon. <laughs> no, you weren't questioning it. You were questioning your own, and I was trying I was. to trying to walk you back and be like, no. And the thing that makes it so. Um... I guess paramount for me is like they have to replace left guard too. Like, does if Gerald Foster was was here for another year, I don't think I would feel as um, not worried, but I, w- I I wouldn't be as interested in in the position as I currently am. Maybe they slide Bo Wilson to left because he played right guard last year, but then they've got right guard. Like they they have another interior lineman that needs replacing from a guy who was a a long time starter for them. And so if Jurgens had Gerald Foster on his left and Tanner Farmer on his right. I wouldn't be worried at all. Throw him in there. Let him. Let's let's see what happens. Because I trust I trust their ability. You know, Frost was talking about him when they first made the move and said that he was a guy that was maybe one of the best blockers they had on their team, and he was a guy that they were looking at. And when they were recruiting him, they weren't even sure if he was a guy that they would play at tight end because they thought he had potential at defensive line. I trust their ability to see that more than. Like I'm not gonna sit back and play uh, armchair GM, so. But they do not have Gerald Foster and Tanner Farmer to his left and to his right, so I I do wonder what that does to the position and and I think Will Farniak is more guard than he is center, yeah. and Hunter Miller could be great, 
but he's more I think he's more of an unknown than Jurgens is. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's uh again, once you start to try to to break it down and rank it in this way, you kind of realize that man, there's there's a lot to answer here in the 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 month ahead. Uh really quickly, was there any position that almost made your list? Um I think the number 2 tight end spot is interesting. I yeah. I wonder if Katarian Legron can win that over Austin Allen. Yeah. What about you? I almost I almost lumped kick return and punt return into my top five. Oh, that'd one be a good position one. Making the top five, you know, Nebraska hasn't been very dynamic on punt returns since Demario Pearsonell's freshman year. Kick kick returns crazy because they've basically been almost legislated out of the game. But fact is, Nebraska's offense had to go seventy five yards or more way too often, and that's not solely the responsible of the responsibility of the return game. But I look at the roster and see a lot of guys who could and perhaps should be pretty good back there. So that one that was pretty interesting to me. Well, I don't know if you noticed this same thing, but when Frost was talking about skill guys that they brought in, both in the February that press conference that they had at, at the February signing at signing day and the press conference that he had back at the December signing day, he mentioned with almost every guy they brought in, they're like, oh yeah, he re- they returned punts for their high school. Like, I feel like that was a thing that they wanted. They wanted guys that had a history of returning punts and returning kicks because they brought in a bunch of guys that did that. Yeah, and, and punt returns really the big one. You know, that's one where you can have sort of the biggest impact, and, and Nebraska's just kind of struggled. You know, they've, they've tried some of their best players back there over, over the course of the years, and, you know, DeMornay Pearsonell kind of held it down pretty well, um, though never to the degree he did as a freshman. And if they can get a little more dynamic there, that's one of those – kind of hidden edges that uh, that really helps the, the offense kind of increase its point total. I don't know if you felt this way when you were going through like the positions and looking at kind of guys that they have, but when I was doing looking at freshmen and then looking at sophomores for the top five thing that we're doing on hillvarsity.com, I was like like seeing the the options or seeing the young talent. They have a they have a lot of really intriguing young talent. They really do. And, you know, I think if you go back and, and remember the UCF days, which not like they're a long time ago, but that was one of the things that struck me about that, that, that team is, you know, they'd go on these super quick drives maybe five, six plays and be like, Oh, there's like four different people touched the ball. Two of them were running backs. Um, one of them's kind of a hybrid player. And then they got the tight end involved. And you're just like, man, how many guys do they have that can like legitimately hurt you? Cause they just seem to roll them off of an assembly line. And I think that's what obviously they're trying to, to build here. And you see a lot of names that, that are really enticing. Um, but again, sort of the theme of the day, you just, you, you can't say definitively, yep, he can do it. Um, because we haven't seen it yet with a lot of them. Brandon, you probably have work to do. We've taken up an hour of your time. Thanks for joining the podcast. Is this two in February? This is, we we made it in. So Boom. achievement unlocked. We did it. Thanks for joining, man. Thanks, Derek. All right. We will be back next week with another podcast. We'll have plenty of coverage. Uh, Baseball got postponed Thursday, but by the time you're listening to this podcast, there will be baseball on Friday and throughout the weekend, and Kyle Cardell is covering that, and then we will obviously, like I said in the beginning, continue to have basketball coverage, and spring football starts on March 4th, so lots of stuff upcoming. Keep it with Hell Varsity. Thanks, guys.